the Proverbs of Solomon from LetGodBeTrue.com Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26 He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Hear the words of God in Solomon again. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. You are your own worst enemy. You have inside you a voice that is dearer than the voice of God or any angel or man. This voice can comfort and convince you against any teaching or warning. This voice is with you 24 hours a day, and it always tells you what you want to hear and believe. It helps you make most of your decisions. You are a fool. Your heart has a strong opinion on most any topic, whether you know anything about that subject or not. Your heart reacts in an instant against criticism or reproofs, and it controls you with passionate desire for anything it wants. Your heart can lull you to sleep about matters that it says are unimportant, and your heart can keep you from sleeping out of envy or hate. King Solomon used the word heart in this proverb as a metonym for your affections, your inclinations and thoughts. It is your internal set of desires and needs that affects your decision-making. Your heart is not your conscience. This is your anti-conscience. This is the set of passions that drives most men and women. God has spoken about your heart. He said, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9 If you listen to your heart, you are a fool. If you follow your heart, you are a fool. If you make decisions even partially influenced by your heart, you are a fool. You are submitting to the most deceitful, depraved, and dangerous source of information on earth. Your heart has gotten you into more trouble in the past than all your enemies combined. You are, truly, your own worst enemy. Wisdom is the power to choose truth against your heart. Adam died in the Garden of Eden the day he ate the forbidden fruit, according to God's promise and warning. Since Adam did not physically die until 930 years later, what actually happened to him the day he took the fruit from Eve and ate it? What part of him died? Not his intellect. He was as intelligent after sin as before sin. Not his power of observation. He could perceive naturally as well after sin as before sin. He was still mentally sane. But his affections for God and spiritual inclinations or desires died. He was then morally corrupted without any desire to seek God, to please God, or to obey God. Rather than beg God for forgiveness, he made aprons of fig leaves. Rather than repent, he hid himself among the trees of the garden. Rather than confess his sin, he blamed God and Eve for the mess. He was now motivated 
by selfish impulses that were dead toward God and others. Adam became totally depraved, as theologians call it. Though his brain still functioned intelligently, with logical connections based on observations and perceived consequences, Adam's affections and desires were totally different. They were now anti-God, anti-truth, anti-wisdom. Adam now hated God and godliness. He loved all the sinful lusts of body and mind that were now in him. He was now an eager follower of the devil, spiritually dead in sins, as Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 describes. You were conceived and born this way, dead in sins, just like Adam, hating God, loving the world, obeying the devil, and fulfilling your lust in every choice. This is the reality of humanity. This is the truth about all men and women, all boys and girls. Without a second birth, won by the Spirit of God, they remain in this state of spiritual death and enmity against God. You must be regenerated by God with a new spiritual life to do any good. Any doctrine of salvation must deal with this fact. Evangelism must deal with this fact. There are no means to influence a person in this dead condition. He or she must be given life first. They must be born again first. They must be regenerated before they can or will believe any efforts to persuade them. Any other doctrine of salvation is false. Today, it is totally acceptable to trust and follow your heart. In fact, you are taught that your heart can decide what is right for you. One man will leave a church and say, I did not feel right in my heart there. A man will leave his wife and children for a younger woman saying, My heart was not in my marriage any longer. A man will quit his job and become a homeless loafer by saying, I am going to follow my heart. All such people are fools. The primary method of teaching today, even at the university level, is to trust your heart. After the professor presents several contradictory views of capital punishment, he asks the bright-eyed little students, What do you think? What do you think? This is not teaching. This is corrupting youth by flattering the idiocy and pride of their hearts. This is conditioning them to think that their opinions are worth considering. This leads to hating anyone that criticizes or opposes them, especially a Bible preacher without a university degree. Teenagers defy parents because their wicked hearts tell them they are right and their parents are wrong. Adulterers pursue other women because their profane hearts tell them they deserve it and no one will be hurt. The self-righteous leave a church because their hearts tell them their pastor had no right to criticize them like that. Pornography addicts justify another look based on their heart excusing such an innocent thing. Where does following your heart lead? To destruction, which is understood in this proverb by comparison to the parallel clause. Fools will be hurt and punished for their decisions are based on the feelings, lusts, and arrogance of their own hearts. 
what felt so good in the beginning becomes painfully destructive in the end. But the wise man, the man who follows God's wisdom rather than his heart's lies, he will be saved and blessed. True wisdom is learning to mistrust your heart, reject its voice, and make all decisions on the basis of absolute and objective truth. Where is the source for such fabulous decision-making? In the inspired words of the living God recorded in the Bible. It is by learning God's words and training yourself to make decisions based on them that you can be wise and saved from the deceitful impulses of your depraved heart. The purpose for ministers is to make war against your heart. Godly ministers do not try to make you feel good. They try to make you understand how dangerous your heart is as it opposes God's word. They are to cast down all your imaginations and thoughts and bring those imaginations and thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. This description of a minister's job is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. You do not have a right to your thoughts. You have a responsibility to write thoughts. But most contemporary Christians are obsessed with their hearts and thoughts and feelings. They measure everything by how well it matches up with what they think on the inside. Fools. How wise are you, listener? Are you ready for a test? Whom do you have a grudge against? Is it right in the light of God's word? If it is not, what are you going to do about your grudge? If you are a Christian woman, do you always dress in modest apparel with discreet accessories and conservative makeup? If you do not dress that way, what will you do about it? The degree of your wisdom is the degree to which you can crush your heart to submit to the words of God in the Bible. If you learn to walk wisely by the directions of God's commandments, He will deliver you from all the pitfalls and obstacles that clobber and confuse your heart-following neighbors. If you will trust Him and not lean toward your own understanding, He will direct your paths in good ways. Your future happiness, prosperity, and success depend on your efforts to hate your vain thoughts and love the truth of God's words. Amen.